Well, this morning, uh, you're stuck with me again. Um, If you're new to Spring Run, I'm not the senior pastor. I'm the associate pastor. Andrew Conrad is our senior pastor. Last week, uh, there was supposed to be a men's hike, and it got canceled due to rain. Uh, They would have been uh, extremely miserable, I think, if they went last weekend. So it got pushed to this weekend, and that's where they are uh, today. So um, hopefully they've had great weather, it looks like it. Uh, But today, we're starting a new series And it's called uh, One Another, the Movement of Biblical Community. One Another, the Movement of Biblical Community. So just as we've witnessed in the past several months, in our previous series on trusting in God's story, we saw that God's story is not stagnant. God is always on the move. We worship a God who's not just created the world and then left it to its own devices to work out its own problems and determine its own destiny. We worship a God who's in control of absolutely everything that happens, from where the ants build their anthill to whether or not you get cancer, from tsunamis to potty training. God is involved in everything. And so uh, we understand that while He alone is sovereignly in control of all of these things, He's chosen a covenant community, us as the body of Christ, to be a part of establishing his kingdom and advancing his gospel. And so while each one of us has an individual responsibility and role that we play, we also work together in this covenant community as the body of Christ. So I'm going to start this morning with famous words from Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, we have these words that are very clear to us. Our marching orders, if you will to understand both individually and corporately as the body of Christ and how we engage with one another and love one another and how that's going to impact the entire world. I'm sure, Lord, the disciples who heard these words had no idea uh, the impact that they would make in the years and ages to come, Uh, and neither do we. But you have chosen us to be a part of this. And so, Lord, as we walk through this morning, I pray that you will uh, not just enlighten our hearts and give us knowledge, but you will motivate us, that you will push us and challenge us to actually serve and love one another the way Jesus has served and loved us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week I had the privilege of attending the Finishing Well Bible Study led by uh, Dave Lenti. And this is a large group of 20 or so seasoned men, mature in their faith, who are committed to studying the Bible. They're committed to praying for each other and living out their role in God's story. And this week's study was on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual gifts and how those... Or um, make up the body of Christ. 
And so when we talk about the covenant community, our biblical community here, we are talking about the same thing, this body of Christ, made up of individuals with spiritual gifts, but together corporately, um, that we are a covenant community, created in the image of God, redeemed and sanctified and set apart by God in order that we may glorify God in finding our ultimate satisfaction in Him. And our mission is to advance His kingdom. It's very simple. You know, and, and today's verse is very simple. Right? Love one another. And it's going to be the foundation of our series. Here's what 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7 say. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the biblical community is moving. We're a movement in which God will use us to influence our culture. You see that? We are, we are to influence our culture, not just to sit and allow our culture to influence us. We're a movement that works its way through families and communities to display the wonder of God and the beauty of Jesus. We're not just a stationary church. We're not here just for ourselves. We invite people in. We seek people out. We send people out to plant churches. We send out missionaries to go into all parts of the world. Now, of course, our building is stationary, but hopefully a beacon to our community. You know, our family loves to go to the Outer Banks. Anybody here like to go to the Outer Banks? Uh, We love it. Uh, We go there as often as we can. We're planning to go there in a couple weeks. And the geography of the Outer Banks, uh, if you've looked on a map or you've been there, um, as it sits along the coastline of North Carolina, is unique and picturesque. Uh, It's got huge dunes. They're wild horses, miles of sandy beaches, but it's, it, it also has its dangers as well. And just off the coast lie a multitude of shipwrecks. It is an extremely dangerous place to sail a ship. And because of this danger, the Outer Banks, especially in the early days before the East Coast was populated with millions and millions of people, It was populated with rescue stations. Now, these stations were equipped with rescue boats, life preservers, pulley lines, rigging apparatus, beach carts, and, of course, a life-saving crew. And while the life stations themselves are stationary, the crew had to leave the building and get into their boats and go out into the dangerous waters and into the storms in order to rescue and save those who were perishing at sea. And then after a rescue mission, the life-saving station would be a sanctuary for those who survived. So our building is important. We even call it a sanctuary. It's a holy place because it is a place where we can gather together physically and rejoice in the saving grace of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want us to live within the walls of the sanctuary, of the building. Jesus wants us to live outside 
the sanctuary in the world, in our neighborhoods. And while we need to take care of the needs of the building, we are to take care of the places also where we live, work, and play. We are called to be a part of a movement of God's community that goes out into the stormy and dangerous waters of our world to seek out the lost, to find those who are perishing, to love those that desperately need rescuing. So if we as a biblical community are going to do this, then there must be a foundation for us to stand on and to move forward with. And Jesus gives us that foundation that we need in John 13, I think. You see, John 13, if you remember, takes place during the last week of Jesus' life before he is crucified. He's telling the disciples that night that if they're going to be a movement to advance God's, God's kingdom and proclaim this gospel of good news, and if it's going to be successful, then they will need to love one another. Again, here are the words of Jesus. He says to these men on that night, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus wants it to be crystal clear with his instructions on what will be the hallmark of this movement. Jesus wants them to love one another. That will be it. Loving one another as a biblical community is going to do three things for us this morning. Did you catch that? Yeah, you know I'm going to come with three, three things at some point. So, um, loving one another encourages the community. Loving one another enables the community. And loving one another exposes the community. So, let's take a look quickly at these three. Loving one another encourages the community. Is that not obvious? Are you not encouraged in your efforts in life when you feel loved by others? Isn't it obvious when you feel like someone is loving you really well? Isn't that like super encouraging to you? You know, the the situation you find yourself in may be extremely difficult, as we've seen this past year. But if you're surrounded by people who love you well... Through thick and thin, people you know have your back and are going to fight with and for you, then you can find find encouragement in the battle. Jesus knew that the mission he was sending the disciples on was going to be difficult and even dangerous. I mean, he he tells them in the Gospels, you're going to get persecuted. Some of you are going to die for this movement. It was going to be difficult and dangerous. Jesus knew that as churches were getting started, there would be division among them. There would be hardship and persecution. And if these churches were going to survive and be a light to their neighbors and their communities, they were going to need to love one another through all of these trials. It was going to have to be the foundation of how they live their lives together on mission. And so what does this mean for our biblical community here at Spring Run? How are we encouraging one another by loving one another? Well, I believe we do this really well, honestly. I think we've got a head start on this one. 
You know, um, at least you uh, have all been kind and gracious, I would say, to us as we've navigated through the struggles of COVID. You know, the leadership of the church has gone through uh, weekly, if not daily, changes we've had to make in accordance with the government laws, trying to stay with the community, and all these different things. And, and, and you've all have had to put up with that. Um, and, and seen maybe not always the, 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 the back, you have not necessarily had a backstage pass to what's been going on, but uh, you've been extremely gracious. There's been a lot of grace, and to me that exhibits loving one another well. So if you've been here on a Sunday morning volunteer team, then you've had the chance to be on the front lines of the constant changing landscape of operations, right? You've had to learn how to live stream on the fly, basically. You've had to learn how to operate an iPad for check-ins, which is not easy. You've had to sensitively seat people in the sanctuary as we're trying to socially distance one another. You've had to learn how to do a Zoom Bible study. And if you've not been able to volunteer then you've had to love those who are doing their best to keep up with these changes. You've had to, until today, uh, register for church and be patient with those who are scrambling to help you get in the doors of the sanctuary and get you registered and, and everything. So I, I really think that the, the way this has happened this year, probably one of the most difficult years our country has faced in a very long time. Because it wasn't just COVID, remember, Remember we had, there's still racial tension and riots. We had that thing called a presidential election. It was like everything decided to happen all at once in 2020. But, again, I think we have a head start on this as a community. And I appreciate the love that you do have for one another. Well, secondly, loving one another enables the community. So, let me reread John 13, verse 34. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So what is it in this statement that Jesus makes that enables us and equips us to love one another the way that we are supposed to love one another? And it's this phrase that Jesus says, just as I have loved you. Which begs the question, how has Jesus loved the disciples? And so if we look back at the beginning of chapter 13 and what Jesus did just before telling the disciples this new commandment, then we would see and watch Jesus doing what? Washing the disciples' feet. Jesus tells the disciples exactly what it meant for him to wash their feet in verses 12 to 17. Let me read those to you. <clears throat> when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus washes, his, washes their feet so that they would understand the importance of serving and loving one another. And of course, later in the week, Jesus would actually sacrifice himself and die in order to show the disciples how much he loved them. This kind of love is called agape love. And there are several words uh, in the Greek New Testament, in the Greek language, that are defined by love. There's epithumia love, which is legitimate physical love. There's eros love, which is a romantic sexual love. There's storhe love, which is an affectionate love that represents belonging like in a family. There's philia love, which is a brotherly love of friendship. But then there is agape love, which is divine sacrificial love. Agape love is an unselfish love of the will, and it elevates others. It seeks the benefit of others. And this is the love that Jesus has for us and that he wants to have towards others. Jesus wants us to move toward people, caring for them, seeking their welfare. Agape love is the Greek word used here in John 13. It's exactly what Jesus' mean, what his meaning is. Now, it's interesting. Um, the Apostle John wrote not only the Gospel of John, but he also wrote three other little letters in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he expands and really explains what this means. I try to come up with an, like an external biblical illustration, but there's none better than what's right here in the Scriptures, which is kind of cool. So let me read 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. Beloved, which is a beautiful word, isn't it? You know, the NIV doesn't necessarily use the word beloved. I'm not trying to slam on the NIV, but uh, the ESV uses it. It's also the New Revised Standard Version uses it and stuff. It sounds like an archaic word, but it, it, is, a, it is a word. Sorry, I'm going on the, on, the, on the side here. It is a word that connotates, I love you like you are my beloved. You know? It's intense. Beloved, let us love one another. So here's how he explains what Jesus is saying. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So here he goes. He's going to explain what love is. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you see that? Uh, John is explaining to us that this love that Jesus is talking about is the love of God exhibiting itself in the sacrifice of Jesus. In this is love, not that we have loved God, because we didn't, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Crazy word we never use, propitiation. What does it mean? Wrath bearer. Write that one down. Propitiation means wrath bearer. It means Jesus took on the punishment, the wrath of God for us. You no longer have to fear the punishment of God if you are a believer in Jesus. Beloved, he says, again, this intense word, if 
God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see what he's make, the argument he's making? This is how God has loved us, and this is how we can love one another. And Jesus enables us to do that because he's died for us and put his spirit into us. He goes on. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, right? And his love is perfected in us. He goes on. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. That's how we're enabled. We have the spirit of Christ in us. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so also, so as he is also, we in this world, wait a minute, by this is love perfected with us, So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So he explains this commandment that Jesus gave him back when he and the disciples were in the upper room back in John 13 and the last week of Jesus' life on earth. Well, finally we get to the third one. Uh, loving one another exposes us. And how does that work? Well, Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five. see that one real quick. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, so he's saying when we love one another, people notice, right? People notice. Notice, positively, loving one another is a form of evangelism, if you will. But on the other hand, negatively, if we don't love one another, then the world will not see the beauty of Jesus in his community, and they'll be turned off by it. Listen to this quote by the late pastor-theologian Francis Schaeffer. He says this, Upon the authority of Christ, he gives the world... The right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love toward Christians. Hmm. It's challenging. When we choose not to love one another, it puts a stain on the Christian faith. But, you know what? Let's try to stay positive as we think about this and center center on the fruitful impact of loving one another. So like we've said, people are watching us. It may not be an overtly conscious decision for them, but they notice how we live, how we treat one another. This is one of the reasons I don't put a Christian bumper sticker on my car, by the way. Um, Jesus wants our love for one one another to make an impact on unbelievers. 
Jesus is saying that when you love one another, it will be attractive to others. In a world where there's so much conflict and arguing, right, observing people loving each other well stands out. It really stands out. One place it stands out is in our marriages. How we love our spouses in front of others can make an impact and display the glory and grace of God. Of course, I'm not talking about being genuinely loving toward your spouse with, excuse me, yeah, I'm talking about being genuinely loving toward your spouse with words and actions. I'm not talking about acting one way in public and another way in private, right? Our love must be genuine and authentic. Because even when you think you are in private, someone always seems to be there, like your kids watching how you treat one another as husband and wife, right? I've had to humbly confess to my own children at times when I wasn't acting in a loving way towards my wife. Because I know they see it. They hear it. And then I'm supposed to be the pastor? Like, I've got I've to be repentant at home as well. And I need to love my wife well at home. I'm not just trying to put on an act here. I want to genuinely love my wife, and I want Jesus to be glorified in that. Because they'll hear the arguments and the meltdowns, and they'll also hopefully might hear and see a remorse, a confession, the forgiveness to one another, and the working out of things with one another, with the gospel. You know, there's another place uh, loving one another is uh, exposed is online, is it not? So what we post, how we comment and interact with each other online is a place uh, that a lot of people see, and true colors come out sometimes. Uh, Many times I've had to uh, clench my fists and hold them back from things I I might want to put online and decide, no, that's not loving. That's not going to be helpful. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So for the next several weeks, we're going to study the one another's in Scripture. We believe that we're part of God's covenant community here. And we are part of this movement to build His kingdom, drawing people to Himself. He's chosen us to play a big role in this movement, both individually and more importantly as a community of faith. And that's what we want to encourage all of us to do well and to love one another through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we worship you because you have loved us. Not with some outward love, but with a deep, intimate, inward love that knows all of our faults, every thought that we have, and yet you have loved us even when we were your enemies. And your love went so far as to sacrifice yourself to take away that sin and that rebellion in order that we could be made holy by you, set apart 
to worship and glorify God, to be a part of advancing this gospel of grace. So, Lord, help us by the power of your Spirit that lives in us to do just that. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.